This is Acacia Thompson from Brooklyn Public Library, the Greenpoint Oral History Project. It's August 3rd, 2018 at 28 Box Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I'm here with local environmental open space and environmental activist Steve Chesler. Hi, Steve. Hi, Acacia. So tell me, how long have you been in Greenpoint and how did you get involved in environmental activism in the neighborhood? Um, a little over 16 years. I lived in the neighborhood. I moved here. I lived all over the city, and then, but I ended up here. Um, and soon after I moved here, I saw um, posters on the lampposts of uh, Town Hall stop the power plant. And um, you know, it caught wind that this developer wanted to get a permit to build an 1,100 megawatt uh, power plant on the waterfront, um, right on the border between Greenpoint and Williamsburg. And um, uh, just, just you know, triggered something to me. I've kind of been involved in activism for as long as I can remember, like a college and, and beyond. And so I tapped into a uh, uh, the Greenpoint, William, Greenpoint Williamsburg um, Waterfront uh, Task Force, which, uh, which is a member-based group charged with, um, you know, stopping the power plant and ended up becoming a, a party in the, uh, the hearing, which was actually a state siting process for a developer to get the, the permit to do it. Um, it's inevitably decided by a board, um, but it involved a, a series of hearings and so I went to rallies and hearings and meetings related to that. And I am a web designer by trade, so I um, helped build the website and did, um, they didn't really call it social media back then, they just basically uh, updated the website and sent out emails, e-blasts e and that sort of thing. Um, and, um, and just, you know, to give perspective, the um, you know at, at Grand Ferry Park, I guess about a mile south of the uh, the property that was targeted for the power plant, which is referred to as the Bayside fuel site, because there was a uh, you know an uh, oil depot there, you know with you know um, stored in you know a tank farm, and um, so there's a power plant there, and that's 78.9 um, um, megawatts. So just give the scale of what they were proposing um, at uh, Bayside. So, and it, um, you know, the, it was an amazing group of people who came from the community, and uh, the research they did, and just the amount of um, toxins that this uh, power plant would emit into the air, um, like nitrous oxide and uh, and then particulate matter, um, and uh, would just you know be you know horrible, and you know in the '90s the uh, the community developed 197A plans, which is a community-derived vision for the neighborhood and the waterfront that deals with housing and open space. And, um, and so, you know, as the industrial era was kind of transitioning our neighborhood, that's what people envisioned, you know, was access to the waterfront and uh, affordable housing. Um, and, um, and this power plant, it was just... Uh, you know, just, um, which is, would just be, be horrible. And this, and in, uh, this neighborhood is just has, uh, Williamsburg and Greenpoint is just, the, the history of toxicity is just incredible in terms of 
you know, the factories, the oil refineries that used to be here, you know, in the late uh, 1900s, early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, animal rendering plants, and then uh, metal fabricators, um, and trash incinerators, trash waste stations, uh, uh, sewage treatment, I mean, just the list goes on and on. So, and there are two power plants that were defeated before that, so just uh, so a bit insult to injury. And inevitably, uh, uh, because the city and the, uh, the community were uh, on the same side, and uh, we, we, uh, we prevailed. It took uh, roughly eight years to defeat that, uh, defeat the developer. Um, and you know, even involved in it, it was initially turned down by this siding board at the state, and then uh, the developer appealed, and there were delays in between. Like the, the initial judge, unfortunately, uh, died suddenly, and so they had to bring another judge and get up to speed. And then the the attorney representing the community, he um, hit an accident, and so we had to. Uh, there was a delay for him to recover from that and get back to it. But um, I think you know the board saw that. You know the the community and the city had a vision for the waterfront, which was housing and open space. But then that kind of leads and is connected to something else that was happening at the same time is that um, the uh, uh, Bloomberg administration um, had this idea that they wanted to just basically develop massive uh, housing on the waterfront, uh, market rate housing and. And towers, um, they figured you know that that manufacturing had kind of um, was beyond its time here, and um, so if they wanted to compete with other cities, and so creating these you know these these luxury towers with a view on the waterfront would somehow help uh, New York and Brooklyn's uh, position in that regard, and um, and it, it it took some of the ideas from the one ninety seven A plan, but. Essentially, it, it brought in uh, just um, much more um, intensive bulk in terms of you know the size of these buildings and the height of these buildings. Um, and but where you know where the connection was a dubious connection was that the um, you know the, the city in trying to win over support for the rezoning plan. Um, Basically, would say, uh, if you don't support this rezoning plan, they'll get a power plant. Because they were saying, basically, if the siting board sees that the community doesn't support, you know, a neighborhood transition and have a plan to the waterfront other than major industrial use, like for a power plant, then they would have, uh, you know, uh, less reason to not not approve it. You know, so. Um, yeah, but still, the you know, community resisted because it was just we knew that it would be kind of a, it would, you know, affect the neighborhood in a really uh, negative way in terms of just uh, displacing people because the the gentrification would just proliferate, and so so I I was I threw many of the same people involved in fighting the power plant were, uh, were involved in resisting the rezoning and that connected me to other people and I also. Helped with the uh, you know the digital outreach for that built a website for uh, it was called the North Brooklyn Alliance, uh, but unfortunately the um, even though 
our local council member at the time, uh, David Yasky, was you know was stating he was against the rezoning. This is something Bloomberg you know really wanted to happen, and so basically the council and the and the, uh, the mayor overrode the uh, local councilman, and they, they approved the rezoning. Um, and uh, and we're only the the building boom here is only hasn't begun to peak yet. I mean we're um, in store to get 35 towers on the waterfront between uh, I think it's 18 in Greenpoint and 17 in Williamsburg. Williamsburg has you know they they have you know uh, had a huge head start. And Greenpoint, which you know its charm is the low-rise buildings and almost having like a village type of atmosphere. And it's, so it's just so drastic, so um, um, shocking just to have our sky taken away and just feeling the oppression from the uh, intense physicality of these towers, which are 30 and 40 stories tall, but the influx of people. And you're feeling on the trains, you're feeling it on the buses, uh, feeling it on the streets. Um, and I know in the schools that they're, you know, they're already you know, almost at capacity. So, um, so, but I felt, you know, after the rezoning defeat, I felt, I felt kind of defeated, and I got more involved in national politics. I, um, you know, volunteered for the Obama campaigns, um, you know, both in 2008 and 2012, and then. Um, um, now one of the provisions of the 2005 rezoning was they, they did in the environmental impact statement that the city did, the uh, open space, um, the existing open space neighborhood was really bad is what they determined. It was basically came out to be 26 square feet uh, per person. And that's roughly a queen size mattress. And the city's average is 100, almost 160. And they had a goal of 250. So, you know, we're an awful. I mean, there are worse areas like the South Side of Williamsburg and you know other other neighborhoods, but that's still really bad. And then they want to add, then they their kind of I feel like lowball estimate for population increase was around 17,000 people. And Greenpoint Landing alone will create 5,500 apartments, which is roughly 12,000 people just on its own. Um, and, and our population is only 40,000 just without that. And then the other towers down the line, um, there are one, two, three, seven more beyond Greenpoint Landing that are, are enter, entering the construction phase. So, um, so number one, they require the developers to build waterfront esplanades and inevitably connect together. And then the city offered to create a Box Street Park which is on the northern end of Greenpoint and Newtown Creek, which is approximately a three-acre park. Um, expand Newtown Barge Park, which is near there from certainly like I think an acre and a third and add another acre to that. But the, the key open space expansion would be was Bushwick Inlet Park, which is on the East River, roughly between North 9th Street, beyond uh, nor North 15th, um, beyond where Bushwick Inlet is. Near uh, Quay Street, and um, so the city in the rezoning they mapped those parcels between Kent Avenue and Franklin Avenue, um, and the water in the in the East River, to become parkland. 
and they wrote in they could use what, you know, whatever means necessary through um, organic acquisition or use, utilizing eminent domain. And then come um, approximately uh, 2009, they, um, they, they approached the southernmost parcel of uh, Bushwick Inlet Park uh, utilizing eminent domain. And um, they, they had budgeted $100 million for in aggregate for land acquisition, remediation, and building out the park. And when they went into this eminent domain hearing, um, they had a rude awakening. And they ended up settling. With they, they had $12 million on the table, and they ended up paying $93 million. And um, it was based on just the anticipation of, you know, just of, of the rezoning you know, that had already, you know, the rezoning that had happened and the proliferation of, of market rate housing. Um, and, you know, some question how the city handled that case because there, uh, you know, there's case history out there where um, in the case, in this, when there, oh, I'm in a domain is applied that the, um, uh, the landowner cannot take advantage, advantage of benefits that uh, might um, ensue from the, uh, the project that, um, you know, the municipality is planning to build, whether it be a park or a railroad or, you know, uh, what, you know, uh, what, you know, be it, uh, what it might be. But regardless, so that uh, unfortunately set a horrible precedent and, um, and then we had a recession. And so long story short, it was supposed to be a 27 acre park uh, in that area. And as of 2015, they'd only developed that one parcel into a park headquarters building and a soccer multi-purpose field and a waterfront esplanade area. And they um, had an they acquired one other one other small piece, but everything else was still kind of in play. And um, and then in twenty in the early 2015, on one of the largest larger parcels, approximately 11 acres, um, including the streets, was a records warehouse, store um, paper records, and there was a huge fire, one of the largest fires. Um, in the, you know, the city's history was seven alarms. And, um, and so the uh, owner, after the fire, put his property on the market. And the city basically um, just stood back and they weren't really going to do anything. And so the community immediately mobilized. And the same people involved with you know, resisting rezoning and developed the 197A plan and the power, resisted the power plant um, and with the help of our local council member, who is now uh, Stephen Levin, we uh, developed a resistance uh, campaign against it called you know, "Where's Our Park," because we feel it was you know it was a promise made to the community, and um, and we just feel the wall you know the walls closing in, and so I uh, um, so I drew me back into the local political scene, and um, and so I you know I continued to do did and do the uh, so, you know, web work and the social media, but I did, I also got involved in the strategizing and putting on, uh, we put on a lot, you know, rallies and 
uh, street theater and campouts, and then we also went to hearings all over the city where the city was rolling out their new uh, uh, rezoning initiative for the, and we would go there to the, uh, where the city, you know, the city planning would always be there. We, and we would go to the public spe speaking session and say, look, you, here are your promise in this committee, you know, gold with this rezoning, and here you haven't fulfilled any commitments to Greenpoint and Williamsburg. Uh, we've gotten the towers and the gentrification, but we didn't get our park. Um, it's very lacking in affordable housing as well. And so, um, so the course of a year and a half, we just were relentless with that, and uh, with, um, with all, you know, just uh, with our campaign. Unfortunately, all, we got all of our elected officials from the city level, borough level, state, uh, federal, all behind us, and all putting up pressure in their own way. And um, and so in uh, in. The summer of 2016, the city finally made an offer to um, the owner of the city storage site to, to acquire it. And that, um, that was precarious because the owner, uh, amazingly, the city put $100 million on the table. And of course, to most people, they just go, wow, you know. So we know that the owner initially only invested $15 million into, the, into this property. So, but he uh, basically, Felt that was like donating his house if he had accepted that. So, uh, so we continued our campaign to pressure the city just to do either to buy, you know, to keep negotiating with the owner, use eminent domain, you know, whatever means necessary. And then, um, and so down the stretch, our St councilman Steve Levin, Assemblyman Joe Lentall, in the state um, brokered negotiations between the city and the owner of the property. And then finally, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We kept hearing, you know, th you know, the owner kept threatening, like, with deadlines, like, I'm going to sell to these other parties, and they'll build, a, you know, like a, you know, a Chelsea market, but a, you know, really lousy one on the waterfront. And, um, but, yeah, June 9th of uh, 2016, uh, they, I'm sorry, no, no, November, um, 20, 21st of 2016, they came to an agreement. I think we reached a number with 100, 160 million dollars for, uh, now the streets at seven and a half acres, but, um, and it was, it was amazing. It was historic, it was incredible, um, and it's an incredible amount of money, but we feel like it's, it's, you know, it's an investment in the community, it's about public trust, it's about environmental justice, you know, just quality of life if you're going to, you invite um, this, you know, enormous population boom and po building boom, and you have to mitigate that with uh, with open space, along with you know, expanding your transportation and schools and um, you know, and providing affordable housing. So, so yeah, so it, it, it was it was amazing. You know, just um, um, and you know, the mayor. And a month later, we had a rally at the Bushwickham Park. Uh, headquarters building, and the mayor came there with elected officials. We had a press conference, and he, you know, championed the community for um, this historic battle and um, and uh, um, and win, you know, for the community. And uh, you know, so we pray, praised him for that that he finally came through. And so now we've, um, you know, uh, they cl actually closed the deal in. Um, 
spring of 2017. And, um, and so then time transpired and then last fall, and we're wondering, okay, that, that's great. So are you actually gonna finish building the park now? Because at that point, the other parcels had been acquired. There was the, the, the tank farm where the power plant was gonna go that was in a uh, process of being acquired over the course of five years and that closed um, in uh, 2016. And then um, at the end of 2014, the, uh, what they call the Motiva site, which is the property actually surrounding the inlet itself, uh, that was acquired. And so, uh, um, so we want to keep the momentum going in, in, in terms of economic terms, the city was you know, in very good health, so we wanted to take advantage of that because you never know when you know, things are gonna go south again, like they did in 2007 and 2008. Um, so the mayor, uh, then, now the other, th you know, one thing to note about Bushwick in the park, and the fact that it is so large, that uh, the plan is for a phased build out. So, um, just um, in terms of just allocating, uh, you know, budgeting money for that, and and that and that's basically, you know, the the rules of the city is that they can't they can't design and build through you know capital improvement unless money's budgeted for that. So. So the, uh, a small parcel called 50 Kent, which is roughly two acres. So money was budgeted to design and build that and also for the Motiva site. So there's been what's called a scoping meeting where there's public input on how they wanna use the park. And, uh, and that, that occurred back in June and Motiva, a similar um, process is planned for um, in, in the fall. And, and uh, you know, a designer is also, you know, there's an RFP that's sent out to designers, landscape designers, uh, architects, and that, that occurred. And, um, and what we're also, you know, pushing for is that the community with the city and a lot of organizations and elected officials created a master plan for the waterfront open spaces, including Bushwick and the Park, that basically, it's kind of a template for, to, you know, design and develop the parks, like just, you know, just suggesting like, you know, an active area of the park for like sports and that kind of programming and then a passive area and, uh, you know, to, to kind of restore the shoreline, having living shorelines with wetlands and, um, uh, and using that as, you know, uh, for resiliency. So we're, we're advocating for uh, trying to adhere to that while at the same time uh, maybe updating the uses that, you know, a lot of new residents may be, um, may be more interested in, that sort of thing. So, um, so, uh, and, but we, you know, we figured this is a, um, this is not only, it's, you know, it's definitely a neighborhood park. It's this neighborhood park to, you know, to, you know, just to, so to um, deal with the, the building boom here, but it's, in a way, it's a regional park. You know, and so, um, and it's such a unique location being at the nexus of this natural inlet and uh, the East River. So, um, so we, we feel like it should be a world-class park in terms of the way it's designed. And so we're trying to urge the city to do that, to go, you know, do something outside of the box, do something kind of wild and engaging, even the passive areas. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I mean, people, you know, are loving the lawns in our neighborhood, they just lay down a blanket and their families and their friends and they go there 
and they would do yoga and they meditate or just hang out and read and people are digging that. But even in that context, um, I think you can do something very, very interesting. So we're, so we're advocating for that. And then um, in um, the, also at the end of um, kind of the time frame here of, uh, I guess it was the end of 2017. Um, well, I should back up is that the in, in Greenpoint, the uh, a city radio station called WNYC had their transmission erected transmission towers um, in this waterfront parcel um, on the East River between Greenpoint Avenue and Kent Street because they. Uh, Originally broadcasting at a municipal building in Manhattan, and as you know, built, they were building the skyscraper boom that was uh, proving problematic for their signal. So they came to Greenpoint, where the low-rise buildings were, um, to erect you know transmission towers, and, and there was a building that controlled that. And I think they maybe did a little bit of broadcasting from there, but inevitably in the 80s they created new towers in New Jersey and they decommissioned those towers and they didn't have a need for the property. So they closed down and they donated it to the city and the Bloomberg administration um, developed it into a 1.6 acre park in uh, 20, 2012 it opened up. And it's a beautiful gem of just beautiful waterfront passive oasis with, uh, you know, you can have, interact with the shoreline and there's a pier and there's a native plant garden that's also a rain garden that uh, captures uh, storm water. And there's a beautiful old willow tree. And then in New York and in Brooklyn, you have a, a willow tree. Um, is, a, is a beautiful thing. And you can, I grew up with them, um, a lot of them in the Midwest. Um, and so the local park conservancy in the area called the Open Space Alliance for North Brooklyn I was trying to organize friends groups in the different local parks and playgrounds, and so through my connections to them, uh, they you know they they were a partner in the uh, Pushwick in the Park Where's Our Park campaign. Um, they uh, they asked me if I would help um, get a friends group for Transmitter Park off the ground. So we 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 did that, and at the same time that we were doing that, which was basically you know the main goal was to kind of be uh, you know, protectors of the park, you know, just uh, being, you know, the eyes and ears for the parks department just to see if problems and damage was occurring and, um, and you know, and, and potentially bring in um, resources to, with maintenance, you know, to the gardens because the parks department is, is really under-resourced under in that regard. But it turned out right when we were doing that, then the property owners next door to the park uh, they've been sitting on this property that they inherited from their father for about 20 years. Decided so to cash in on the rezoning as well and build a residential tower and get a text amendment to the zoning which would allow them to build one building instead of two and have the, the main wall face the park versus the streets. And, um, and it would just be we saw the, ren the renderings that they did, and it would just be horrible imposition on the park in terms of shadow and uh, just a 
impressive presence there. Just and they initially designed it to be right against the parks. Essentially, the main lawn and the playground would flow right into their lobby. And it would just almost kind of be annexed into their into their development. And so we uh, it was before the community board. And we got together and we raised hell, and we got the community board to disapprove the um, the uh, the tax amendment. And in doing so, we negotiated some mitigation. Basically, we um, requested they push the building back, and so went from eight feet back to thirty feet back. That they create a wall between the two properties, just because you really just want to feel the separation. That you're you're either in the park or you're on private property, and not being confused and feeling like the park is a private park. And, uh, and some other things like they, in their commercial space, not allowing music outside um, next to the park. And so, so we prevailed there, there because there, there was really no stopping the project in general because they, as of right, could at least build the two buildings, you know, and do that. So, um, and they're also contributing $500,000 that's supposed to go towards the transmitter park for the well-being of, of, the, of the park. And, um, and, and as we speak, they've torn down, they're tearing down the old, build, the old structures and getting ready to uh, erect the new building. And then, uh, then almost right after that, um, we got wind that the, um, found out that the original plan of the city like the, uh, you know, when you have parks and playgrounds, you really need to have comfort stations there. You need to have bathrooms so parents um, can bring their children there. And if you have workers, maintenance people, they need to have access to uh, bathrooms if they're, they're full-time or close full-time. So they, but unfortunately their plan was to get a private vendor to come in and set up a concession in the building and they would handle the renovation of the building because it's, it's in a flood zone. It was flooded during Hurricane Sandy to relocate the mechanicals from the, uh, you know, the basement to the roof and put in ADA compliant bathrooms um, and then pay a fee to the Parks Department out of their revenue. And, uh, and so we, we took issue with that. Immediately we heard about that is like the park is, like there's only an acre and a half and to have um, you know, the clamor of a cafe and tables with umbrellas would just uh, kind of violate the, uh, the spirit of this passive park. This is you know, it's a, you know, it's supposed to be like a quiet, you know, gentle place where people take refuge versus say McCarran Park, which is you know, about uh, three quarters of a mile away is a, you know, a um, 35 acre park. You know, it makes sense to do it there, it can better absorb the, uh, the impact of something like that. So, so we kind of got in a battle with the city uh, over that. And we got a petition together and um, um, kind of raised hell. And, and even though they had an RF, uh, a, th a third RFP to do that, and they had prospective takers you know, come through, it inevitably failed. And we were never really given a clear explanation, but we, we got through the woodwork as both the the investment that they would have to make versus the, the, the return that they would probably not get on the location and dealing with the community, the angry community that got about 800 uh, signatures on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on that. So, 
So we're trying to devise a more community-based solution to the building, like being an environmental center, um, you know, getting a nonprofit involved, you know, dealing with a, one of the botanic gardens because we have the, these native plant gardens, and we have the Billion Oyster Project has research oysters um, east East River because they're they're want to add a billion oysters to New York Harbor area because uh, oysters are a natural water filter. Um, and one oyster can uh, clean up to 50 gallons of water a day. So imagine what a billion would do. Um, so there's potential there is to do that. And also the historical nature of the building was it's an art deco building from the 30s. It could be some of a, uh, have a, uh, like an archive museum. So in type of uh, facility, we know school groups come through. So this, that's, uh, that's kind of where we're going with the, with the building. But in the meantime, you know, we have programming there, we have uh, gardening, we do gardening there, nature, uh, lectures and walks, um, and uh, we had star stargazing there recently with amateur astronomers and we were able to see from the pier um, Saturn uh, 800 million miles away, see the rings and Jupiter's moons and so, um, um, so it's just, a, it's all good vibe, you know, good vibe there, so. And so that's, um, and, uh, and, you know, about a, you know, a, a little over a year ago, I joined the local community board in Brooklyn, number, community board number one, I'm on the parks and waterfront committee there, so I'm advocating for all things open space in the neighborhood. Um, and, um, um, and I just, you know, I, it's just tremendous that, you know, just, I get a, such a buzz from is, the uh, the strength of activism uh, in this neighborhood with the people here and how um, just how they you know circle the wagons and uh, you know protect protect their neighborhood it's really 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 wonderful and just uh, seeing folks on the street you know it's just a good feeling that we're doing that though I feel like there's a constant pressure because the uh, you know the wave of development and the you know free market is, is always there, you know, as there's just been such an incredible turnover of stores, uh, uh, businesses, and people you know, everyone knows people have been, had to move out of the neighborhood because of the cost of living, but, but along the least we can have for the people who are here, really wonderful open spaces and a cleaner neighborhood, um, um, I will, you know, continue to do that. I feel like it's my, I just feel like it's a natural inclination to do that. I wish more, more people would do that because it's, because with the, you know, with the elected officials we've dealt with, they pray, they praised Friends of Bushwick in the park. Like they come to a town hall and they would speak up and bring their issue and do it very loudly because they say no one else, no, basically most people don't do that. And they need, you know, they, they, they bring their own kind of moral, and um, you know, issue compass, you know, to their office, but they need guidance from the community. You know, they need you know just to feel and hear, you know hear what what um, you know um, you know about what's bothering them, what what is really important to them. And so we bring that front and center. They you know like Daniel Squadron, he was the state senator. Right on, you know, he, he has part, his district is part of Greenpoint in Williamsburg. 
and he, you know, he, he's definitely a go-getter kind of guy. And he's like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm into this. I'm, I'm diving in. And, and he was great in his own way. And so, uh, so I just, you know, encourage people to organize and get together. And because um, you, you, will, you, will, you will have an impact. You never know how things are going to play out. Like with Bushwick Mill Park, we just took it a day at a time. You know, we kept, you know, there's always some of these ominous clouds. You would see articles in the real estate rags that the develop the owner was going to, you know, strike a deal with these big time uh, real estate firms. But we just, uh, uh, you know, remained steadfast and, um, and uh, you, know, you know, really appreciated the small victories along the way, um, but didn't, um, you know, get, you know, diluted. You know, by that, uh, we just, you know, until there was that deal um, that was announced on Twitter, <laughs> of course, um, you know, basically said, here's the new Bushwick in the Park. And it had a rendering of a map, and they created a GIF where, you know, the city storage site basically kind of, you know, faded into, you know, the whole, the other parcels. So, see how, how we did it. So, yeah. How do you think that your group has been so successful in, in putting pressure on elected officials? Um, the, uh, I think you know, a lot of it has to do with, um, with voting. <laughs> and um, so if they know that a large group or very um, powerful group of, of the neighborhood and, and of their constituency, it feels very strongly about an issue, uh, definitely be in the interest of the elected officials to, to, to hear that. And so, um, especially with the rezoning, the rezoning was such, you know, such a, it's still a deep wound in the neighborhood. And so it knew how it was so much a defeat. And Councilman Levin had been involved in other controversial issues surrounding rezonings and text amendments and special permits. So, um, and when he saw the, I think the power of our group, um, because he, he basically said, first thing that we, we need to have a rally at City Hall, like after the fire, but you need, you need to get 200 people there. And we did it. Basically, we just got a group together and we said, each person said, you know, you gotta get 10 people, or you gotta get 20 people to go there. And we ended up breaking the record for a, um, a rally during the day at City Hall. We had over 400 people. They had to stop letting people in, people in City Hall Park next door. And so, and, and as Carol Maloney, who is our congresswoman, who was amazing on it, said she loved this issue because it's something you could touch, something you could really reach and grab onto. You know, it was, you know, the, you know, the commitment, the promise was there. You could see what was happening in the neighborhood. It was, you know, it was, it was basically documented as a mitigating tool, you know, or uh, element in the neighborhood that you had to have it. You know, uh, people are, you know, suffocating here. It's kind of their last, you know, uh, last piece of, um, you know, of quali quality of life that they grab onto. So, um, so that, I think that that really, really an impact. And I know that especially uh, Carolyn noted that in her the most recent campaign, and the mayor, Mayor de Blasio, you know, he's had a lot of controversy. And uh, so he, he touts, you know, Bushwick in the Park is one of his big wins, you know, for the community, and, you know, rightly so. So I think, um, 
you know, when electrophorists see that it can be, you know, beneficial to them. Uh, but, you know, being, you know, embraced by the community that they're representing the community, they're fighting for their, for their residents, um, you know, you know had, had a huge impact. And I feel like with Transmitter Park, it was a little more difficult. It was a little more, um, you know, with the, uh, with the text amendment of the building next door, because that, but he also, but it took, you know, took some relentless pressure on him to, um, to get him into where he, to a negotiating point with the community. But once we did that, he, he was great. He was really, um, he, you know, pushed for our, our, our demands. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, we were in a meeting together with him, developers, and, um, and rep, uh, representatives of Friends of Transmitter. And I just said, you know, I just looked in the developer and said, you know, I, I represent this community. You know, and it was, it was, it was really great. And, uh, and I can say is that, you know, Steve, he's really, you know, can, uh, and I tell people that he's often the smartest guy in the room and he is a really great negotiator and he runs a meeting really well. And, um, and um, you know, and he bring, you know, and so, so, so that, so I think that was key, you know, but, but I think it's just, uh, I think, you know, w when you have um, mobilization, often is conflict driven. You know, if there's, there, there's a threat of some sorts. Um, and it's almost, you know, so, um, um, so I, I think it's sort of capitalizing, capitalizing on, on, on that. You know, I think, you know, a lot of being an elected official is problem solving, you know, so. So I think that, I think that was the main thing. I think, you know, just, really making a lot of noise about a particular issue about the park you know, and a promised park and that really touched the nerve with people you know it's just like how you know i think especially this mayoral administration is really still learning how important open space is to people you know you know open uh, uh, affordable housing is his you know driving kind of banner issue which is great but um, I think he's really got to see that, you know, schools and transportation, he's, he's definitely feeling on transportation too. But I think, like, I feel like open space is like the bottom of his priority, you know, his priorities. And um, so I think he's, he's just, I think he's really got to see the value. I mean, just financial value, obviously, too, for properties nearby, but more the human value, you know, just, uh, um, you know, just enriches people's lives. You know, you can have this, Densely populated city, you know, it's Gotham, but you can still have amazing open spaces. Obviously, those are the most popular draws in the city, Central Park and the High Line and Prospect Park um, and Bryant Park. And, uh, and if you go to our parks here, they're, they're, they're filled up. And it's not just playing sports. It's like you go to Transitor Park and people are putting down their, their blankets and they're just hanging out, you know, and again, being just enjoying it and in McCarran Park which is only 10% passive people go into those little grassy areas and in the sh in, and in the groves of trees and they just you know they 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 go you know they take it in you know so uh, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a lightning rod issue open space and so I think he really you put it out there um, and uh, you know people people will uh, will come.
Okay. Yeah, so yeah, continuing about you know the Bushwick Inlet Park campaign, um, one of the other tracks you mentioned going to the rezone, you know, the citywide rezoning hearings and the rallies and the street theater um, and crazy social media was the you know the only way f way for the property owner Norm Brodsky to make his deal to sell the property would it be to get it up zoned because it was left. Um, zoned as heavy manufacturing. So he couldn't build a residential tower there. So he needed rezoning. And the way, nor the protocol for rezoning in this city is for a locality is the council defers to the local representative, Steve Levin. And it would have to go through ULERP. So what we essentially did is we, we uh, drafted a resolution basically Stating that um, you know th these you know various these government entities would not support rezoning that property, and that they must build out the full Bushwick Inlet Park, um, and so we got the community board to unanimously approve that. We got the borough president, which would have been phase two, um, and then Steve Levin from day one, our council member, and the key the linchpin said no, you know. So, so while this deal was about this deal with these uh, development firms and the owner of the property seemed like it was ready to go down, we had this resolution in hand and we also all our elected officials with their seals uh, were on there. So we decided to deliver it, hand deliver it to one of the developers. So we went to, uh, to Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and we staged a funeral, a funeral for a deal. And one of the guys on our in our steering committee, he's, he has a video production company. And so he filmed it. And essentially, um, his wife, who you know, is an artist, uh, Catherine Thompson, and Dewey Thompson is the videographer. Um, she basically, she created a coffin um, in a day and some little mini coffins to deliver this, deliver the, the resolution and signify the death of their, their deal. And so we had two other people, Scott Frazier and the owner of Greenpoint Beer and uh, Ale, um, Ed Raven, who, where we had our weekly meetings and he used to feed us and provide us with beer um, during the campaign. It was right across the street from the park where it's supposed to be. And he drove us in our beer van <laughs> with the coffin and the pallbearers. And so basically we staged a funeral on the street. We carried the, the coffin into the lobby of the building and amazingly the starter in the uh, building allowed us to go up to their office and we said we have a delivery for mr carey you know who is the uh, you know the mid-10 equities uh honcho so uh he uh um so basically at that point they, they said he wasn't there and so we we left and we and we staged a funeral on the sidewalk where basically jens rasmussen who's this actor he was our preacher and he basically threw a megaphone, basically read the resolution, you know, to all these whereases, like whereas the community was promised this park, um, the city should fulfill the promise to mitigate all the towers and people, and um, the property will not be rezoned, you know. And so uh, it turned out the, the Carrie's son ended up being there and he filmed it and and we went viral with that called Funeral for a Deal and it was shot in black and white with the, uh, you know, the the old film grain uh, effect applied to it, and it was great. But the, 
But the important thing is that that was another track is that um, we, uh, we took zoning off the table and that was a key part of it. And, and we know down along the way is that, you know, um, you know, the deputy mayor, Glenn, and the, you know, and the mayor really wanted their affordable housing, you know, wrapped into inside luxury housing. They wanted a compromise, but, you know, and uh, power to our council member, Steve Levin, he held to not rezoning it, and um, finally, at the end of of uh, uh, 2015, um, Cranes ran an article that the deal was going down with Midtown Equities and um, related companies and Norm Brodsky, and the city was willing to compromise on the zoning. And Steve Levin called up the city and he said, "Is this true? You really?" Uh, um, you know, this is how you, I thought, you know, and, and the city said, no, that's not true. And they called up Cranes and they got him to change the quote. Basically said, we, um, we will not support zoning that the, uh, the community does not support. And so they took zone, the city took zoning off the table. And that, that was a game changer. That, that was it. And that set the stage for the city finally making, uh, you know, starting the acquisition process and make an offer in June of 2016. So, um, so yeah, so that's an, you know, another way, like if you're, you know, you're organizing and, you know, for any issue, whether it be an, an environmental justice to uh, uh, look at the zoning, look at the, uh, you know, what's involved with that with the rules and, and uh, make sure you get, key is getting your council member on board because they said so much so a rule has to be changed or something needs to pass has to go through him, you know. And uh, but having the borough president on board, we had borough president Eric Adams, he was with us all the way, and deputy um, borough president Diana Reyna, who was the uh, council member in the neighboring um, district, which also would be affected by Bushwick and Parks um, development or not. She she was amazing. She just told the stories of growing up. You know, in her neighborhood, it was all dangerous. And they, you know, and the parks were in a horrible state. And the waterfronts, people would try and climb over the fences and people would drown or get hurt. And so it's just, you know, we, you know, people deserve better. They definitely deserve, you know, just pure, unadulterated access. And you shouldn't have to be in a luxury tower to do it. You know, so, um, yeah, so that's more uh, flavor for the, uh, the Greenpoint environmental you know, epic uh, narrative. I love it, the Greenpoint epic narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why do, you, why do you think that Greenpoint has such a strong activist, environmental activist community? Um, I don't know, that's a, that's a very good question. You know, I, you know I, I, I've tried to really, you know, ponder that because, um, you can't, I don't think you can't distribute it to, you know, people who move to the neighborhood. Like people in, in the Friends of Bushman Park, mostly people moved here in the 80s, the 90s, or early 2000s, raised their families here. Um, more often than not, they were people who did not grow up in the city. They came from maybe smaller towns outside the city, and maybe they brought their idea of the importance of quality of life, you know, that they had um, in, you know, 
to the suburban or rural, rural life to the city. Like, why can't you have a, uh, you know, have Gotham, have the, you know, the, you know, the, the you know, the, the beautiful intensity, the energy, and all the structure that supports that, but then have quality of life, like you connected to the water, connected to the open spaces and the green, and have clean air. Um, uh, but but I know even prior to that, you know there you know there were there were people were fighting for parks, trying to close down incinerators, um, fighting other power plants. And just the toxicity of the uh, the general toxicity of the neighborhood, um, and I, you know, there I know there were there were activists, aldermen, city council member like Peter McGinnis and uh, and uh, uh, McCarran, people like that. Um, I don't know, but they I guess he was kind of a dubious uh, in his role. Um, yeah, it's just. There's definitely a unique chemistry to this neighborhood, and I haven't quite um, because they're we're quite powerful. Because I know, like with what's interesting is in you know in Brooklyn Heights, you know they had an issue with Brooklyn Bridge Park where the city um, opted to actually build on the park as a supposed justification and means to fund the development of the park and the maintenance of the park and that was always questionable. But instead of, you know, I feel like they, they, they chose to litigate and they got pretty far with that, but um, they didn't do as much fighting and organizing on the street, you know, and I felt like, you know, I feel like here, you know, it's, we do a you know, combination thereof, you know, we, we're with, we definitely, you know, litigating, litigating is definitely a good tool but there's something just about being, you know, talking to people, you know, face to face, you know, and just, you know, looking at people's eyes, you know, and uh, and being face to face with our elected officials, um, along with, you know, you know, uh, you know, a digital campaign. Um, I just feel like that, that's, you know, it's just more encompassing. It's more complete. I, I, I find, you know, and, and this neighborhood just seems to, you know, to to nurture that type of uh, activism. And yeah, I just, but I feel like there's just, there's such a, been a high level of abuse in terms of the, uh, you know, the environmental toxicity and then the, um, you know, economic abuse, you know, just in terms of the, um, you know, the zoning laws and just allowing the proliferation of, of all, all this market rate housing and, and you know, key is you know affecting the commercial sector as well, the retail. It's just uh, it's just amazing. Even since the rezoning, just seeing you know a business in a seeing a, a storefront going through one, two, or three cycles of businesses. You know, just um, um, so uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Hey, you're very welcome. I'm so glad. I love this project. So I'm glad to be a part of it.